You know, it's important, it's important in life to know whether someone is good for what they're promising, correct? If you lend money to people, or if you're a business person, and you're going to do a job for me, and it's going to uh, be a lot of money, is it important to you if you know I'll pay you back? Why, yes, it is. Don't lie in church. It's extremely important. It's not Christian. Well, it will be the Christian thing just to lose $100,000 on the pastor. Of course it's important if someone can be counted on to carry through on what they promise. In Hebrews chapter 6 to 9, we're going to look at, man, these are just some really good verses. I'm not saying it's going to be a good sermon, but these are really good verses about the trustworthiness of, of God in Hebrews chapter 6 and here's the first thing I want to tell you the big thing the fundamental thing is God can and he will deliver on his promises God can and God will deliver on what he promises now look at me just a second guys everything depends on this The Bible is a book of promises that we trust by faith. And to know whether or not God can deliver. I mean, every time you hear the preacher say at the funeral, grandmama, granddad, whoever, they are in heaven now because they trusted in Jesus. That all depends on whether God's good for it or not. Amen? Pretty important stuff. Let me tell you the first thing. One, God can deliver. God can deliver. In verse 13 through 15, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what he promised. Now, folks, this is a first part of the promise. If you're going to be good for it, you have to be able to deliver, correct? I can promise you something all day. I can have a sincere heart. I can be trustworthy. I can be dependable. I can desire to please you. But if I don't have what it takes to deliver, it is not going to happen, correct? And, and a lot of Christians, we are well-intended. We have merciful, kind hearts. We should. But we are not all-powerful, are we? We are not omnipotent. We, are, we, we're, we don't have the bicep to pull off everything. Here's a great thing to put your feet on, first of all. God's got the bicep to pull off everything he promises, okay? If God says he can do it, number one, understand God can do it. Now, just because someone can do it doesn't mean it's going to happen, though, does it? No, it, it doesn't. Just because someone has the ability doesn't mean that they will carry through. But here's the second part of this. God will deliver on all he promises. Not only can he do it, he will do it. Now, folks, here's why this is difficult for us. We don't deliver very well, do we? Do we? We really don't. I read something this week that said the average American (laughs) makes New Year's resolutions. I make them every year. And that within six months, by June... Only about 40% of us are still keeping that resolution. I want to tell you, people lied in that survey. I bet it's about 10% are keeping. We don't, we don't, listen, we don't deliver for ourselves, much less for other people. A lot of times it's not that we're liars or we're mean. It's just that we, a lot of times we just do not deliver as that we should. 
God can and God will deliver. Now, here's another important thing. Don't get confused on what God promises. You can turn on the TV tonight and you can find a preacher that will probably say, if you will send money to my ministry, God is going to financially bless you. Folks, I believe with all my heart, if you tithe as you should, God does financially bless you. But it's a lie to say if you give money specifically to me, God is going to bless you with a Mercedes. God never promised that, did he? In fact, God never promised you're going to live to be old. God never promised you perfect health. We get confused on God's promises. There was a Russian man who moved to America, lived his whole life up in that point in, in Russia and the old Soviet Union, communism, hardly anything And the first time he goes to a grocery store, he was just blown away at one of our big supermarkets. He'd never seen anything like it. He's walking down this aisle, and he sees this thing that that says instant milk or powdered milk. Just add water, and you will get milk. Then he sees this other thing, powdered orange juice. Just add water, and you will get orange juice. And he walks down a little farther, and he says... He sees this thing that says baby powder. And then he's like, oh, my goodness, this America is an awesome place. Did you get that joke? That wasn't the promise of the baby powder to just add water and poof. Here's a two-year-old. See, we get confused on God's promises. I'm going to tell you this evening, there are people who aren't in church tonight, who weren't in church this morning, and they've given up on God, not because God's let them down, but because they got confused on what God promised. Don't let God be true to what he's promised, not what you and I think he's promised, okay? That's very important. Now, here's, a, here's an interesting little tidbit. In John chapter 21, Gospel of John, Jesus had died. He has risen back to, uh, to, to life, and he's having a conversation with Peter. How many of you remember this off the top of your head? And it's a story where he tells Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter is so awesome, and he's so real. Peter looks around, and he goes, what about John? What, what are you going to do with him? And Jesus says, basically, he says, Peter, that's none of your business. If I want him to stay alive till I come back, What is that to you? And it says in the Bible, the rumor spread that John was going to stay alive till Jesus came back. And that was never what Jesus meant. That wasn't something Jesus promised. You see that there in the scripture. So remember this before we look at some of the great things here is that, that he's good on what he promises, not on what we assume he promises or what some preacher may tell us he promises, but what he truly promises, okay? Now let's look at verse 13 through 18. Again, verse 13 God made his promise to Abraham since there was no one greater for him to swear by. He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear to the, to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Now look at this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Did you get that? Impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Now, folks, what's going on here? 
is you're seeing a legal process. This was kind of a, an Old Testament and a Jewish legal process of this day. And, and it, it, it is, is still today where a person under oath swears on something greater than themselves. Now, thank God I have not been uh, in trouble in, with the law in a long, 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 long time. This was before Christ, but I can remember having to get on a witness stand at one time. And they, they made this back in the old days when, when God was still part of America. And you, you put your hand on the Bible and you said, I promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me un, unknown person out there somewhere that may exist. No, that's not what you said. So help me so help me God. In other words, the United States court system made you swear on something greater than you, correct? In other words, kind of verifying your oath. I think this is so awesome. What they're saying here, God said, God, he didn't have to because he's God. But to, to drive the point home to Abraham and to us, God said, look, I will swear that I'm going to bring this to pass. And God looks around and goes, you know what? There's nothing greater I can swear by, so I swear by myself. Isn't that great? God says, I swear by God. <laughs> it's me. That I'm going to do what I say that I'm going to do. Is that not awesome? God looked at Abraham, God looks at you and me, and he says, I swear by myself. There's nothing greater I can swear by than anything I promise it is going to happen. And it says something else beautiful in verse 18. It also says, it is impossible, impossible for God to lie. You say, oh, he's God. Is it Nothing's impossible for him. Absolutely, there's some things impossible for him. One thing is, is that it is impossible, it is not possible for God to tell a lie. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Man, I tell you, that, that is absolutely super fantastic. That is so great. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about, initially, he's talking about the things he promised Abraham. And let's go back and look in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And remember, he's singing in the senior adult choir at this time in his life. And go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you. When I curse you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now let's go to Genesis 21.5. Abraham left everything he had. Well, it's supposed to be 21.5. I'm sorry. 21.5. Genesis 21.5. It, it says that Isaac was born. Okay? Now, here's what God promised Abraham. Abraham, again, he's in the senior adult choir. I want to tell you something. My wife hurt my feelings yesterday. Probably more than once, but one thing comes to mind. I told her I needed some multivitamins. You know what she brings home? Silver Senior 50 and over Centrum. I knew it was a mistake, and I said, we'll take it to Wayne tomorrow at the office. But uh, <laughs> Silver Centrum. Boy, I tell you, you want to get put in your place. That, that, that worked. Abraham is a senior adult. He's drawn his check. He's retired. He and his wife could not have any kids. And God says, guess what? You're going to have a child. And not only are you going to have a child, you're going to have a special child. You may have several children, but you're going to have one child through Sarah. 
And through that child, you're going to have multiple descendants. In fact, the whole world is going to ultimately be blessed through you. And in 21.5, you know what it says there? That God carried through and did what he promised. Now, then there was Isaac. And folks, and then the ball began to roll. And then you have the Jewish people you see in Exodus. And then Jesus comes along. And then we're here tonight. And the Bible says we are children and descendants of Abraham. God came through, didn't he? God came through. Now, I want to give you a couple practical thoughts, and then we'll jump to some other things. The application here is universal. Specifically, he was talking to these Jewish people and reminding these Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews that when God said to Abraham this was going to happen, it happened. But I want to tell you, it's true for you and me in a thousand areas tonight. I I want to give you six. I want to give you six things tonight. That, 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 that aren't in this scripture. We'll go back to the scripture in a moment. But I think are worth hanging your hat on when God says that he's going to do these things, he's going to do it. Number one, God's, God will save anybody who comes to him. Anybody that comes to Jesus Christ and asks to be saved, God will save them. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may guess, so that you may hope, so you may wish, know that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great? Folks, you don't have to guess whether you're going to heaven. If you have given your life to Christ, you can stand on the promises of God that you're a child of God. Isn't that wonderful? And it doesn't end there. I mean, again, there's a thousand things we say. I'm going to give you a few. God forgives us when we repent. When you and I repent, God forgives us. 1 John 1, 9. If, that's our part, we confess, He is faithful and just and will forgive us. And if you feel forgiven, if you feel forgiven... If you feel emotionally clean, you're forgiven. No, it says, and he will cleanse us from, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's how, what I do and here's what you do. I confess my sins. I have a sincere desire to repent. The father of lies gets on one shoulder and he says, God's not going to forgive you of that. You are so pathetic. I can't believe you're still doing those things. Nobody ever hears that, do they? And you say, well, I don't feel forgiven. Listen, 1 John 1, 9, I don't mean this in a rude way. It doesn't address your feelings. It says when we confess our sins, God forgives. You know what we do? We stand on the promises of God, and we believe that. Here's the third thing that this tells us tonight. He loves us regardless of how we feel. I know know with certainty many of you struggle with whether God loves you. You struggle whether God still loves you after some things that have happened in your life. In John three sixteen, this beautiful little verse, For God so loved the world. That word, phrase so loved, means he loved a bunch. World means some total of individuals. You know what that says simply? Whether you feel like it or not, God loves you. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Here's the fourth thing. He'll never fail you nor forsake you. Man, a lot of us wonder, is God going to come through? Is God going to be there? And we say this, man, I don't feel God. I don't feel God. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money 
and be content with what you have because God has said, and I'm paraphrasing, money is fleeting, but God will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that wonderful? Standing on the promises of God that he loves me, that he'll never fail me nor forsake me, that he forgives me when I come to him. What beautiful things. Here's the fifth thing. God's going to take care of his children. Was God, will God take care of me? The Bible says he will. Psalms 55, 22 is a verse I quote often to myself. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you because he will never let the righteous fall. Isn't that wonderful? God's going to take care of you when you live for him and you keep your hand in his hand. God will take care of his own. Let me tell you one last thing. He and his end, win in the end. He is God, his is you and me, and we win in the end. 1 Thessalonians 4 Verse 16 through 18, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, let us be discouraged about these things Sad and broken because we don't feel that this will happen. Let us encourage each other with these words. Isn't that great? Folks, if you go home tonight or this week and you find yourself discouraged and depressed, that means you're alive and you're normal. Hang on to the promises of God. By the way, we win in the end. Isn't that great? We may be in the second quarter and we may be taking a beating tonight. It may be in the top of the fifth inning and we're losing, but if you're on God's side, when the game's over, we win. Isn't that wonderful? You see, we trust those promises because God has made them, swears by himself, and God can never lie. Now, let me tell you how we we flesh this out practically. Some things he tells us in this passage to do. Number one, run to God. Run to him. Folks, if we have a God who can't lie, We have a God who swears by himself to carry out his promises. Get on your horse and get to him and stay with him. In verse 18, God did this so that by two unchanging things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take the hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Now, here's an interesting thing. Remember, Hebrews was written largely to a Jewish Christian audience. So they would have understood when he said fled to him what he was talking about. He was talking about the Old Testament cities of refuge. How many of you remember hearing about these? A city of refuge in the Old Testament, if you read through it, when Israel was a country, part of their civil laws, if you accidentally killed somebody and you were afraid that their redneck relatives were going to come and kill you, which would be a righteous fear, is that you could flee to one of several cities that were designated cities of refuge. And when you got in that city, you were safe. You were protected from harm. They could not come in there and get you and kill you. And it's interesting what God says here. To these Christians who were probably taking a beating at this time in their life, God said, listen, I am trustworthy and dependable. And the Old Testament, when they had a need, they fled to a city of refuge. God says, flee to me. 
Run to me. Isn't that a beautiful picture God's saying here? I, I am the one you can count on and depend on. I will deliver you. I will take care of you. Run to me. Here's the next thing that goes with this. Anchor yourself in God. Anchor yourself in God. In verse 19, we have this hope of God's unchanging, dependable nature as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now, in Jesus' day and in the day that this letter would have been written 30 or 35 years after Christ's death and resurrection, the anchor, one, it was a very well-known thing in a, in a, in a world that was uh, largely commerce was ocean-related. But an anchor was also a symbol of hope. In the catacombs under Rome where Christians during the persecution oftentimes lived, literally lived under the city of Rome, you've heard that there are fish symbols on the wall. How many of you have heard that before? The fish symbol of Christianity. Did you know there was also anchors on the walls in the catacombs? Because the anchor was a symbol of hope. To these people who understood seafaring ways... The anchor was the thing that took care of the ship. Listen, you didn't have ships that had great engines and power to start and stop. I mean, you were wind-driven, you were oar-driven, and your anchor was very important. Your anchor was the thing that was going to keep you from crashing into the rocks. It was going to keep you from running ashore. It was going to keep you from hitting the sandbar and getting delayed. That anchor, you drop that anchor. We have a picture of a big anchor. I I thought we might have one. There we do. You see that anchor, those hooks, that that anchor, you drop that as you were coming into the shore or you knew you needed safety and you counted on that thing to hit the bottom and to find some rocks or to find something that it could dig into and hold on to and protect you. And here's what God says. God said, listen, in a world for them, in a world for us, where there's not a lot of hope sometimes, God says, anchor yourself in me. By the way, the word hope here in your Bibles, it doesn't mean I hope Santa Claus gets me a good toy. I hope my wife or husband is nice tomorrow. Wishful thinking. It means a confident expectation that something's going to happen. And God says, I want you to anchor yourself, to run to me and to anchor yourself in me. There's a confident certainty that when you anchor yourself in me, you're going you're gonna to end up okay. Folks, someone said without hope, uh, 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 that, well, they said without food, a person can live maybe 40 days. Without water, maybe four days. Without hope, about four hours. Now, obviously, that was an exaggeration. But we need hope. And what a beautiful thing. God says, listen, I'm your hope. You, and here, here's the problem many of us tonight. We're dropping our anchors in a lot of things, in money, in investments, in friends, in relationships. And you know what? It's not holding, is it? That anchor's not holding. God says, anchor yourself in me. I'm going to carry through with everything I've promised you. I'm good for what I said. Run to me and dig yourself Secure yourself into me. Now, here's another thing he tells us. We've got to be faithful. Not easy. Pretty tough. This is, this is where we get lost here. You see, 
We say, man, God says, flee to him. That's wonderful. God says, anchor yourself into him. He's trustworthy. Then God throws this at us. He says, but you've got to be faithful to me. In verse 15, and after waiting patiently, did you get that? Abraham received what was promised. Now, we know this, don't we? That Abraham waited about, about 10 months, and then Isaac was born, right? And then about 25 years later, he started having multiple grandkids. No, that's not the case at all. He waited 25 years before Isaac was born. It was 60 years after the promise before he got grandkids. Did you get that? Waited patiently means to to endure or to preserve. It it means to hang in there and, and to hold on. You see, here's what we've got to do this evening. Here's a challenge to you. This is a lifetime gig we're talking about. I hope to motivate you and excite you a little bit this evening to some extent. But this is a lifetime thing. If all you're wanting is to feel good uh, and to have a pep rally, then we can do that, but I'm, not, I'm afraid by Wednesday that will be gone. You see, we flee to Christ. We anchor ourselves in Christ because he's trustworthy and dependable. And then we decide that we are going to live patiently and, listen, consistently for him. You young parents, you want to know how to raise godly kids? You be godly over a consistent lifetime. You can't decide, well, I'm going to try the God thing for six months, and then if that, my kids ought to be fine. No, it's a lifetime of consistency. Galatians 6, 9 says, says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Read that last part. If we don't give up, okay, if we don't quit. So we we run to him, we anchor to him, and we patiently live for him. Here's the last thing, and he takes us where we want to be. God will ultimately take us where we want to go. In verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what, what's going on here? This is very important, too. When he talks about, in verse 19, uh, entering the sanctuary, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the holy of holies. Now, in the temple, and this is probably most certainly what he's talking about, the temple was huge, and you had a, an area called the, the court of Gentiles where non-Jewish people and Jewish people could go, and then the court of women where Jewish men and women could go, and then the court of men, and then you got in the court of priests, and, and then the holy Uh, The holy place where a priest went in once a day and then the most holy place, the holy of holies, where only the high priest went in once a year. And he didn't stay long. That was where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the presence of God was. And when Jesus Christ died, folks, you, you can read this in Mark 15, the curtain, there was a gigantic thick veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place because you couldn't even look in there. And that curtain was ripped in two, and that was God's way of literally saying that he has opened up the presence of God for all of us. And, and what this passage is saying is that Jesus is like a forerunner. He's a scout. He went before us the way safe, in other words. 
And that because of Christ and his work, not only can we hold secure on everything God has said, we can go into and we can live and we can dwell in the presence of God Almighty. And when all is said and done someday, we will live forever in the presence of God Almighty. And that's guaranteed because God swears by himself and God cannot lie. That's good stuff, isn't it? And you know what? Tonight, I believe this ought to move us somehow, some way to be different. Starting with you Christians, maybe it'll just be where you're standing or maybe at the altar. Maybe you need to say to God, but God, because of who you are and what you promised, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live faithfully. And I'm renewing my vows to you tonight, Jesus. Maybe you want to join our church tonight. You come and do that. Maybe you're not a Christian. Listen, if I wasn't a Christian tonight and I had heard about the nature of God tonight, I think I'd want to join the team. You come and give your life to Christ tonight if you never have. Let's stand, and as God leads you, you respond to him.